Okay, so picture this, right? Picture this. You're married. You love your wife. You've got a child. You are murdered in cold blood in a dark New York City post-defund the police crime-ridden <laughs> alleyway. Uh -huh, <laughs> there, uh -huh. there's, there's no one there to protect you. So this there's, is like the reboot of Ghost. We're doing this, the reboot. This is the reboot of Ghost. You are the star. <laughs> and so it's and, VR. It's VR. Yeah, fine. Fuck it. Whatever. Sure, it's VR. <laughs> what does that mean? So people can watch. No, like you said, you you are the ghost. So it's like, yeah, you the viewer are the ghost because it's I VR. You, I meant you personally, Chris. It's your story. It's your movie. You know. I mean, and I I'm hearing that and I'm loving it. But what I'm saying is, let's take that spirit and let's offer that to everyone. Like everyone is the ghost. Okay, and and it's called it's called VR Ghost, but also but somehow it's written out. I don't know exactly how the graphics is. It's VR Ghost, but it looks like you are Ghost. Ah yes, yes, right? I love it. Right? How good is that? How good That's is that? Really good. Now in this interpretation of Ghost, because uh, it's thirty years later, it's VR, obviously, right, sure. or the anniversary that we're releasing it. Do you look like, like on Quibi? Is it on Quibi? Maybe it's on Quibi. Uh, of course, it's on Quibi. <laughs> the most revolutionary uh, breakthrough forward thinking platform to have reached entertainment in decades. Thank you very much, Jeffrey Katzelberger. We're doing Quibi's first VR show. I think there's a lot in this. They're looking for something to turn it around. This is great. I'm loving it so far. So, my question, though, is in the development of this. When you, as the main character, look in the mirror, do you see yourself or do you see Patrick Swayze? Mm, okay. How tied to this movie from 30 years ago do we want to be in VR Ghost? Okay, so I like the idea that it's you because right. then you've got lots of opportunities for like, take a selfie with Demi Moore and it's like, uh, oh, you could do like a crazy TikTok from inside Ghost. But what I also like as a hook is like, Fuck you Demi are... Moore as Whoopi Goldberg. Right, exactly. But I like like, you are Ghost, you are Patrick Swayze. And it's like, oh. we get this great technology and when you look in the mirror, Swayze's exactly matching your movements. So I, I, mean, I think maybe... that would be good. Maybe Ghost is just one component of it, and you are VR, VR, you are Patrick Swayze, and you are in Roadhouse. You are in Dirty Dancing. You you're are in, in Red outside. Dawn. Yeah, you're like the you're like the matriarchal male figure of the out of Pony Boy in The Outsiders, and you're yelling at him all the time to like get home early because you've been working at the gas station all day, and you know your brother Soda Pop, he's out there causing trouble, and you don't want to be. And the Pony Boy, get back here. Well, okay, so if we're going this direction, which again, I love, it could be, we could almost have it be kind of like Guitar Hero, where there's like, right, you right. have to hit the beats that Swayze hits, you know, and you have, and if you don't, well, then it goes like, dunk, and the no dialogue. Especially when you're dancing. <laughs> so it's kind of like Dance Dance Revolution, except you're Patrick Swayze, it's VR, it's on Quibi, and, and you are okay. Ghost. Yeah. Okay, so I am seeing... I am seeing right now massive property synergy, right? Okay. Yeah. Dance Dance Revolution for the dancing scenes. That's one level, right? Mm -hmm. That's one level. Um, shooting, like, you know, first person shooting with a gun, that is 
your that is your red uh, dawn. point break that point break red, point break that is your red dawn. i mean point break you got you can do you can you can refinagle the ddr pad to be for surfing right and you oh, can do yes. the first person shooting yes and then you have when it comes to this movie ghost this is your final fantasy-esque live action role-playing solve the puzzle move through the rooms you know that very very boring interpretation of video games from the 1990s right, yes. cd-rom era ripper i don't know if you ever played that game scum or, scum games i mean i love these games but yeah where you're oh, like, they're so boring they're just for boring people and <laughs> yes i love them yes exactly you just yeah, you go into rooms and there's like a box and the box has a key, but it doesn't work in one hole. So you have to find the other keyhole, but it's not for a door. It's for like a third box that was inside the sixth box. And you're just kind of like trying to work this out. Meanwhile, the game is supposed to be about murder, but there's been no murders whatsoever. <laughs> well, obviously, Ghost should be the last level of this game because at the end of it, you ascend to heaven. So like that's the end of the game. Well, what no, the last level of the game is pilot and you die. Is that how he died? Did he die of cancer? Oh, yeah, that's true. He did die of cancer. <laughs> but he did crash the plane one time. <laughs> I mean, so is Harrison Ford. So is everybody, you know? Okay, so fine. The last level of the game is... is it's Can we do pilot? Because I just don't think the last level of the game being cancer is going to really work. <laughs> that's smart. That's smart, and I agree. That's smart, and I agree. Okay, bottle it, package it. You are Patrick Swayze, the game. And I think I think we've got a million dollars here. Uh, this is 30 Years Later. I am uh, Ricky Camilleri. I'm talking to my co-host, Chris Chapin. We're talking about the movie Ghost. 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 Ghost starring uh, Mr. Sir Patrick Swayze. He's not a sir. Uh, Demi Moore, uh, a wonderful Best Supporting Actress win winner, Whoopi Goldberg, and um, Tony Goldwyn. And uh, it is 30 years since Ghost came out. It was the highest grossing movie of 1990, which is why we are recording this podcast the second time after <laughs> losing the first recording of it, uh, because we felt it was so important to uh, record again for the two to five people that might listen to this. Other yes, than we us. felt that it was very important to do. We definitely didn't say, well, it seems like the recording got lost. So like, who gives a shit? Let's just chalk it up as a loss. I was so, I was so focused. I didn't even see that email. I don't know what you're referring to. <laughs> I was laser focused on getting this done. Um, so 30 years later, uh, ghost highest. Ghost do you want to hear a little bit of the trailer? Should we listen to the trailer? Oh, that's a good idea. Go for it. What's the matter? Seems like uh, whenever anything good in my life happens, I'm just afraid I'm going to lose it. I really love you. What do you want? Get a message from Sam. What? Sam Wheat? He asked me to call. Once you go to police, he said it was a setup. He was murdered. Okay, so Ghost, had you seen this movie prior to this conversation? 
<laughs> I had not seen this movie. I mean, it's a movie I heard about my whole life without having even seen Ghost. I w- had such a high level of awareness of the movie and of like certain scenes in the movie, like the pottery scene, for example, that it was it, it was almost one of those experiences of watching a movie where you're like, it's almost like boring, even though you haven't seen it, because you're like, okay, yeah, this is the fucking like this is the pottery scene, and like, yeah, then Whoopi Goldberg does something weird. Can we say about the pottery scene? Um, well, first and foremost, this is the plot of the movie, and then we'll right. just talk about everything. The plot yeah. of the movie is Patrick Swayze, Demi Moore, they're in love, they're fucking yuppies. We'll talk about that and the specifics of that in a minute and make fun of it. Uh, and then he gets killed, uh, but he doesn't go to heaven. He becomes a ghost. He has to figure out what it means to become a ghost. And by doing that, he meets other ghosts who teach him how to be a better ghost. And then he realizes that his friend, played by Tony Goldwyn at the bank, had him killed. He meets Whoopi Goldberg, who's a medium, and she helps him communicate with Demi Moore, who's mourning his loss. And then eventually they get back at Tony Goldwyn, and he ascends to heaven. And that's pretty much um, the movie with more details in between that we'll talk about. But it opens with this pottery scene between Patrick Swayze and Demi Moore, where she is an artist in their Soho loft, and she's crafting this this beautiful piece of huge pot it's at least three feet tall and it's got it's it's curvy and it's got all these like you know kind of details in it and she's spinning it and it looks beautiful she's in her underwear and it's in between her legs and it's a very phallic and then he comes up behind her and he puts his hand in and she doesn't ask him to stop even though he's like totally destroying her art piece and he puts his hand in and it falls over and lumps into mud in their hands and it's supposed to be this very sexy scene and I asked this question again. I asked it in the last recording. I asked this question. What is sexy about two people playing with an erect a phallus that turns flaccid? I mean, absolutely nothing, Ricky. The, one of the weirdest things about this scene is like, so I, you know about the scene your whole life. Like I, I thought, heard it was like the sexiest scene in the world. And I, I had seen clips of it, you know, like on the Oscars or whatever forever. I always like assumed there was nudity in this scene. And there is not. <laughs> And I was very upset. No. I was waiting the entire time for it to get to the nudity, and there is none. Like, and it's a kind of a it is kind of a steamy scene between. They definitely are like really making out. But there's no there's no nudity. Like, what, what the hell is? And for a movie from 1990 when there was still nudity in movies, I was honestly very surprised. I was honestly very surprised. Call me a horn dog, but I was disappointed that there was no nudity and I was disappointed that the phallus that they were playing with became flaccid. Right. Yeah. Uh, I know this is a big thing for you. This, this, the flaccid dick in the movie, like this is, you're very fixated on this flaccid dick in the movie. It's like watching the porn. It's like watching pornography and they both have their clothes on. And one of them is holding (laughs) is one of them is holding a dildo that doesn't work. (laughs) Like what about this? It's not, it's not uh, literally. It's not literally uh, erotic, and it's not symbolically erotic. <laughs> <laughs> it's symbolically unerotic. Yeah, I feel like I, I I am not necessarily as turned on by symbolism as you seem to be, but like, oh, oh symbolism drives me to get my blood hot. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, think about what this represents. So uh, after we meet this couple and we get that they're like super turned on by each other and they love playing in their clay um and uh she well, wait, 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 not- wait, 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 wait wait i'm sorry not to oh, not yeah, to yeah. short circuit you but like another thing about this fucking scene is like to me more is making this beautiful pot like we said it's 
several feet tall. It seems to have been a lot of work to get to the position that it's in. And Patrick Swayze comes up and just like kind of like punches it and is like, huh, stupid pot. And she kind of just goes like, oh, you. When in reality, the reaction would be like, what the fuck did you just do to my pot? Like, I'm a professional artist. I've been working on this pot for like hours and hours. Like, it would be like if my wife came up and just like, deleted something that i had been writing all day and instead of being furious i was just like do you want to fuck <laughs> which like I, I guess i would be a better person if that was my reaction but that definitely would definitely would not have be you, my reaction i have been in multiple relationships in my life you have only been in one the one that you are in that where you right, are married. sure i've never gone out with anyone else that's right no uh and i when a person is like once you've reached a certain place in the relationship i would say a month maybe two once a person is like engaged in an activity and doing something and you come over and try to be sexy, I mean, let alone ruining whatever they're doing. You're not right, even yeah. you're, like, you're not doing, you're not ruining what they're doing. You're just engaging with them and maybe trying to like uh, imply that you're interested in having um, coitus in that moment. Like, <laughs> Oh my God, Ricky. what? <laughs> <laughs> yes. You've submitted a coitus form and you're just like waiting for them to sign it and hand it back to you. And then, like rarely ever is the person sort of like, oh yeah, absolutely. Let me drop all like whatever it is I'm doing. It's like a thing where you're like, hold on, let me finish what I'm doing. Like men and women, it's like you're comfortable with each other. You know that sex is around the corner at any time that you want it. So therefore you like to finish the activity that you're engaging in, whether it's writing, fucking, watching, like fucking watching, cooking something, you know, cooking. like dude, watching a fucking cartoon that you like. <laughs> You're like, it's just almost over. Could you just wait? Like, a, yes. I, I, I don't want to get in a fight with you right now, but like, this is like literally my favorite movie and it's 10 minutes from being over. And it's like, if I don't turn it off, I don't love you. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? So clearly, and it's such a great example. We talked about this, but like, it's such, it's the first example in a line of many examples of how this movie is written from the like unexamined male perspective, oh, right? Yeah, for sure. The unexamined white male perspective this movie is is written and directed from that like the guy writing it was like yeah he comes over and he puts his arms around her and the thing breaks and she's just so hot they start fucking and it's like <laughs> it's not how it would be she would be like you said like i excuse me <laughs> what, are you, what are you doing and before it even broke she would be like okay be careful okay look at okay whoa no whoa whoa wait what the fuck what the fuck what the fuck are you doing <laughs> And he would be like, "Oh, I'm so I'm sorry. I thought maybe. Oh no, okay, okay. Well, no, I'll just okay. I'll go back over here. I'm sorry. I, I'm I'll sure go. you could do it again. I'm, babe, you could do it again. You could do it again. Here, let me help you. Here, don't don't touch that." <laughs> In the movie, what he says is, "He goes, huh, hope that wasn't a masterpiece." Oh, that's right, right. And she goes, uh, "Well, it's not now." Which she says like it's sexy, but I like to believe she also is mad. I like to believe on some levels that the character is also mad at him. I would hope that she's a little fucking mad. I would be mad. Wouldn't you be mad? I would be, I would be out of my mind. I honestly I would be. I don't think I'd be able to have sex. I think I would just be so mad. So we, from, from there we find out that, you know, they're in love and Swayze works in a bank with Tony Goldwyn. And by working in a bank, we basically, it means it just, he says money things over and over again that like, the Japanese are here for a meeting. Four million, make it seven million. 
Albany needs 900,000. Oh, by tomorrow? <laughs> He's just, it's like very big, like doing a business. Like they don't even, it, it's not even till way later in the movie they clarify it's a bank. It's just like, we're doing a business. And also he works in a bank and is at the same time remodeling and moving into this massive, beautiful right, yeah, Soho right. loft. Like clearly gentrifying a part of the city that used to be home to artists and is now home to bankers who are like, courting artist beautiful artists yeah right bankers who have artist girlfriends right exactly none of which again is examined by the movie it's just sort of like assume that this is fine and normal and no one should really talk about class one of the first like five lines of the movie is but you could sell this place tomorrow and double your money you're like, it's yeah, so it's gross. From, it's from that period of time in, a, in American movies. And by that period of time, I mean all of time in American movies where nobody likes to talk about class. Yeah, right, right, right. The um, fact that these people are obviously like super wealthy and completely disconnected from any reality. And are just like displacing other people who have less money than them. <laughs> right, exactly. Like obviously that place that they move into had been subdivided into like several apartments or like several offices or something, but they've bought the entire thing and are breaking out all the interior walls and they keep going like, wow, look at all this space. It's like, yeah, it's so much space. It used to be six different homes and now it's just your home. And you know what? If, if 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 Demi Moore is an artist, if her character is unaware of these uh, 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 of uh, of these surroundings of her and wealth and class, she's probably a terrible artist. And I yes. retract what I said. She deserves <laughs> to have her pottery piece broken by a horny dude. And honestly, she probably would not care because she'd be like, "Oh, I just do a bunch of them." <laughs> um. So uh, also there is a does not hold up in the time of COVID scene where we meet. Well, it's the second time we meet Tony Goldwyn where he and Patrick Swayze are in an elevator and their big joke that I guess is supposed to warm them up to the audience or warm his character up to the audience is Tony Goldwyn pretends to have a, a like a, a myriad of viruses in a packed elevator while coughing and like spitting on himself and gagging and everybody mm-hmm. in the elevator is getting sick and it's supposed to be funny. And I feel like even pre-COVID, that would have been like, why are you harassing? Like, is this jackass? Why are you harassing all these people? Well, again, it's just another one of these like unexamined, rich, straight, white male privilege things where it, we're supposed to find them endearing because they're pointlessly being assholes to strangers. Like, they, it's not like the movie sets up some kind of reason that they need to be on the elevator alone or like they were on the elevator alone having an important conversation and then, you know, a bunch of people got on and it was really annoying. No, they're just riding the elevator like normal people within a crowded elevator going to their office and they just start fucking with everyone for literally no reason yeah that's that's cool that's cool i guess right um while while at the office it turns out that uh clearly tony goldwin is up to something based off of the fact that he's desperately trying to do some accounting work that swayze is happy to do himself which involves missing numbers and goldwin is like very obvious about it um but uh, Swayze he keeps going, to... hey, let me have a I could just take care of that. And Swayze's like, oh, no, I'm deep in the numbers now. And he's like, and then... ha, 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 just quit it. Just stop. Give it to me. Ha, ha. <laughs> and then Goldwyn's like, by the way, where are you going to be tonight? I'm going to murder you. 
<laughs> yeah, basically, literally, he's like, okay, fine, you do it. Um, but like, where do you think you're going to be in like two hours? And who else is going to be with you? Oh, interesting. Cool. Okay. To which Patrick Swayze just responds, oh, I have to go to a play. Oh, God, right. This whole thing. It's so Remember? weird, right? This is another like one of his only character specifics is that his beautiful artist girlfriend wants to take him to a very interesting play at what is obviously supposed to be the public theater. And not only and he first he says like, oh, man, I have to go to a stupid play. You know, women in plays, which like, do I? <laughs> is, is that a stereotype? Women in plays? I mean, and, but it also behaves as if men not liking plays is a stereotype right. that we're supposed to just understand and get right, right away. Which is very weird. And then uh, they go to the play and it, I mean, like, I heard that they were going to this play and I was like, oh, that sounds really cool. And then it yeah. showed them walking out of the, the theater and it was, it's obviously the, the public. And I was like, and they were seeing Hamlet, you know? And I was like, oh, wow that's really cool. Like, Oh man, to go to see, like go to the public to see Hamlet in like 1990. Like, Oh, I bet that'd be really neat. Like, I wonder what actors would have been there. And like, I wonder if there's some kind of crazy interpretation of it. And, you know, it's be so cool to have this artist girlfriend and go to something like that. And I'm thinking all this just during the couple seconds they leave, you know, you probably would have gotten to see Stanley Tucci play Yago or something. It would have been amazing. Yeah, it probably would have been fucking, it would have been, it would have, I mean, you know, like uh, John Malkovich maybe would have been in it or something. Like, it fucking would have ruled. And they, uh, he goes, wow. Takes it for granted. He goes, wow, I really enjoyed that play. And she's like, yeah, the five rows around us couldn't hear anything, but you're snoring. And I was like, oh no, oh no. That would be extremely rude. To which I say, to which I say, Thank God he was shot within seconds of saying that on screen. <laughs> because following saying that, he is almost immediately shot by a random mugger. They're being mugged, and he, the guy kind of like shoves Demi Moore a little bit. So Patrick Swayze like gets up in his face and starts shoving him and screaming at him. And Demi Moore is saying like, no, please stop. Please don't. Just leave him alone. Like, just give him what he wants. And Patrick Swayze is, won't stop. And then he is murdered he is murdered it's done in kind of a cool way where it's like he's fighting with the guy you hear the gun go off you and then we cut to seeing the the mugger run off into the distance and you see patrick swayze run after him but he stops kind of after a little while and turns around and goes oh baby got away and he as he does that he sees his own dead body being cradled by demi moore which is like a you know it's pretty creative as these things go i like i like that they do that again that comes back later where they do that with willie the guy who yeah. killed him in that scene who turns into a character for the rest of the movie. But uh, one of the things I thought was anytime they put, um, they mirror image somebody, which they do with Swayze in that moment when he comes back to look at the body, the special effects do not look good, which I was surprised that, like, that's not a hard, that wasn't a hard effect to do in 1990. I don't know why they couldn't really, they couldn't master it. Cro- yeah, it's very weird. Red Ringers a couple years earlier and did it much better. I mean, like, they did that kind of thing on, like, batman in the 60s you know and i'm not saying their effects were like great but like it's it was not a new effect by any means uh i mean it looked amazing just a few years later in multiplicity when when michael (laughs) keaton had the clones i actually really like multiplicity or let's say i haven't watched multiplicity in like 15 plus years but i remember liking it i loved multiplicity when i was a kid and what i loved most was the retarded michael keaton that went (laughs) that that went i don't know if steve (laughs) that that was very funny when i was a kid 
Is that uh, not the plot of this new like uh, show with what's his face, Paul, Paul Rudd? Rudd? Yeah, is it I just know. multiplicity? I mean, all the shows now are just some '90s movie, but set over the set over ten episodes rather than an hour and twenty eight minutes. Yeah, right. Fair. Like all what of what I was going to say about Swayze before though was between this play thing and this like fighting with the mugger, he has this weird thing in this movie, which he has in a lot of movies if you think about it, where it's like he's just embodying ideals about masculinity in like a very literal way. Like he does it in red dawn and he does it in uh roadhouse and lot, lots of other movies, but it is kind of weird how like direct they are about it, about like, like this is what a dude does. Well, considering that like his, he doesn't have the body type for that. It's not like the most naturally masculine body. It's like actually a quite feminine body. It works in point break where he's a surfer and he's like a beach bum. And like, I recently rewatched that movie, uh, which I think I just do all the time, actually. And uh, <laughs> his, the casting in that and his physicality works really well for that movie because he he wouldn't be like massively muscular. And maybe it's just right. our own ideals now where we think of like Ryan Gosling or something who's just like fucking gigantic and looks like a football player. Right. Whereas like Patrick Swayze, he looks like a dancer. He looks like someone. I mean, he looks like, like a dancer. Definitely. He looks yeah, like, he, a he looks like someone who'd be like, we're going to a play. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> He'd be like, Oh, we got to go backstage afterwards. Tom has been working on the costumes for this for a million years. <laughs> I got him some, actually I got him some flowers and I, I, I they're his favorite flowers. I know they are like would, that. That's what I, that's the energy I get from Patrick Swayze as a person. But in every movie he's playing somebody who's like, stab it and then you'll be a man i'm like what is why does he have these parts i don't understand it the energy that i get from patrick swayze is is like baby i love your piece do you want to do you want to hang out a little little bit and then and then we can talk oh okay i'll come i'll come touch your pottery piece with you if you want me to it's like no it's like he has a dinner party to show off her pottery where he (laughs) cooks her favorite meal and then after everyone leaves, he like puts on a jazz record and is like, baby, you're so amazing. <laughs> and then um, they have sex for like two hours. Yeah. Uh, we should mention prior to him being killed for not liking the play, he is laying in bed with her and she says, I love you. And he says, ditto. And right. then prior to him being killed again, she brings up the fact that he never says, I love you. He only says, ditto. And then he's sh- shot for not liking the play. Um <laughs> So then he becomes a ghost and uh, he realizes that he's a ghost and he's in the hospital watching his body be taken around on a gurney. He meets another ghost who hangs out in the hospital who's like, hey, man, you don't know what's going on, but you're a ghost. Watch this. And he shows a body, a spirit being lifted to heaven. And he's like, you didn't get to go to heaven and now you're stuck. And so Swayze then starts hanging out. And it's really the best part of the movie where he learns about being a ghost and hangs out with other ghosts. And uh, he meets a scary ghost on the subway car who yells at him because that's his car. Uh, and then he kind of watches Demi Moore and watches Tony Goldwyn. And um, we see Tony Goldwyn's uh, feeble attempts at sleeping with Demi Moore, <laughs> <over> <laughs> which are basically, uh, I think you described it, Chris, as like uh, he has the game of like a 13 year old jock. <laughs> yeah, he literally pours. He's like, hey, can I get a cup of coffee? And she brings him one. And then he just pours it directly onto his shirt and goes, oh no, I guess I have to take my shirt off. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Meanwhile, uh, Swayze's watching this and Swayze ends up going to find the guy that killed him, this guy named Willie 
Lom- Willie Gomez. Will Lom- you almost Lom- said Willie Loman, didn't you? <laughs> is it Lopez or Gomez? Gomez. Because- I think it's Gomez. Yeah. Who lives in like a bad part of town. And uh, because this movie would operate that way. Right, and yeah. uh, the guy uh, ends up being, uh, ends up being connected to Tony Goldwyn and hired by Tony Goldwyn because Goldwyn uh, owes money all over town and is basically turning the bank into a pyramid scheme. And, Patrick Swayze was starting to find out about it. Um, and then also Patrick Swayze meets a medium played by Whoopi Goldberg, who does an amazing job in the movie. She's really the best part of the movie in terms of performance. She's the extreme... Oscar winning part of the movie. I mean, yeah, she, I mean, no, the movie, but the movie was nominated for a number of other awards. You know that, right? It was nominated for best picture. I mean, it was the highest grossing movie of the year. I mean, it was an extremely important cultural touchstone for like a whole decade. But we've talked about this before, which is that like sometimes you look at the the plots of these movies and they feel like kids shows now, like yeah. 30 years later, like it's interpretations of heaven and hell. It's interpretations of good and evil, of, of how a story has to be told. They feel like kids shows. The only thing that doesn't feel like a kids show with this movie and with some of the other movies that we've seen from 1990 is its willingness to be more about character than set pieces where you have right, yeah. entire scenes and plot lines dedicated to just developing who a character is versus yeah like every little minor character has a little bit that like develops them a little bit even this guy willie gomez who murders patrick swayze and who is like is the villain for a bunch of the movie because we think he's going to murder Demi Moore or something. We don't know what's going to happen. And also just because he's like a person of color and in this movie that means that he's evil but like there's a couple of scenes where you see him just like eating soup alone and like muttering to himself about how he didn't really mean to kill anybody or he didn't want to kill anybody where it's like, it it really kind of complicates his character and makes him a little more interesting. And I just feel like in a modern version of this movie, you would not get this. Like, like in a modern version of this movie, if Patrick Swayze is watching Willie Gomez alone, he would be like sharpening knives and looking at child pornography. And like, (laughs) he would have like someone tied up and at the back of his house. Yeah. He would be me. (laughs) <laughs> exactly sharpening knives yeah. um what is interesting though is that like i do think and this is jumping ahead but when willie dies versus when tony goldwyn dies there is a natural sympathy that the movie as well as patrick swayze and it's mostly through patrick swayze i think because um swayze is the movie he is the main he is the vehicle with which the movie resides when willie dies it's like yeah go to hell bad guy but when Tony Goldwyn dies as much as he is the bad, bad guy who basically is the reason for all of these events to have unfolded. There is a sympathy and a sadness about his death where Patrick Swayze almost tries to stop it and feels bad when the window crashes into him, which I think is once again, this like inherently unexamined classist racism (laughs) that the movie resides within where it's like, Willie is like a product of his circumstance and is like, you know, hired by this, sociopathic banker and it like doesn't want to actually do the job that he has to do but when he dies because he's a person of color and like lives in this bad neighborhood it's like yeah go to hell willie you're being taken to hell now and when the actual bad banker guy dies they're like oh i felt i felt the opposite way and like having because it was the first time i was watching the movie and because i thought all the things you just said and and i don't know if it's something about the performance of the guy that plays willie gomez whose name i forget but like 
he's great and he brings a lot of pathos to the character i think even though he's like just looks like a stereotypical like 80s movie bad guy like he's wearing a shirt with no sleeves and he has like kind of like jerry curled hair underneath like a, a dirty baseball cap kind of thing like i i felt sad when he died because i knew he was just a pawn in the game and then the bad banker spends so much of the last half of the movie being like really disgusting that I and and there he's really like actively trying to like really do a murder. And before that, he's screaming and screaming about how he's going to like slit the Mimor's throat and he's like waving knives around. And it, uh, so I felt the opposite way. I, I think that you're right about the movie textually is like maybe we're supposed to care more about the banker. But I, I, I personally watching it, I had the total opposite reaction. And I think you can watch the movie and have that reaction if you're like a bleeding heart like me. I agree. I mean, I think I personally had that reaction, but it was watching Swayze, who is the moral of the moral compass of the movie, the lead of the movie. It was watching his reaction to the two murders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, and one could say, well, you know, Willie did actually murder him, but like he's also spent time with Willie and seen Willie's predicament and how exhausted and shocked he is at like how things have have gone down. Um so one thing that happens in the movie uh, is that Patrick Swayze learns at one point that um, he can get into Whoopi Goldberg's body and basically take take over her body and present as himself, still physically as Whoopi Goldberg, but emotionally it would be his voice, his his, his thoughts, his his ideas, because uh, he watches somebody else do that and it exhausts the other ghost who does that. Um, and he later ends up doing that in order to be able to touch and dance with Demi Moore. And um, there's a great clip of um, Roger Ebert talking about this that I think we should play right now. Beyond that, I think the film is romantic. And that's, I think, the thing that you didn't focus on. I had one problem with the scene where Swayze realizes that if he ever wants to touch Demi Moore again, he's going to have to do it through Whoopi Goldberg's body. Right. And he occupies her body, and then Goldberg reaches out and takes Demi Moore's hand. And, right. this is, and then they cut so that we can see that it's Patrick Swayze holding her. I thought it would have been ever so much more poignant if it had been the two women. In other words, oh, why should we be able to see it's Patrick Swayze? Where are the rules here as to who is seen as what? I agree with you. Again, that occurs. That now, now you're talking about almost the very end yeah, of the picture. Uh -huh. So you sort of undercut yourself a little bit in the way you set this clip up, because in fairness to Ricky, the first time that we did this show, you had this exact thought before we listened to the Siskel and Eber clip. So it had a little bit more impact because we had had a long discussion about how we completely felt this, this exact thing. Uh, and then we were absolutely shocked to hear Cisco and Ebert say the same thing. But it is like so funny, this scene, because it's like, you know that Patrick Swayze has gone into Whoopi Goldberg. And then they start to hug and dance. And immediately we, the viewer, see Patrick Swayze. But the whole time as of the audience, you're sitting there and thinking like, but that's really Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> like, But that's yeah. really Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> like, that's weird, right? Like, isn't that kind of weird? Uh... And you have to wonder if they shot it the other way. Right. You, they had to have they had to have shot it the other way to see if they were going to cut back and forth. Right. There's just no way. I mean, even if you knew getting to set that it was most likely going to be 100 percent going to be Swayze in this big moment, you would be like, let's give ourselves time just in case because you would want to know when to cut back. You wouldn't know that, you know, 
if you just said, oh, we'll only cut back when he falls to the floor, you're not giving yourself any options there. There's no, you know, you're, you're being a very unapologetic or uh, unforgiving filmmaker for yourself. So they had to have shot more of Whoopi Goldberg dancing and coming close to kissing. Because they almost kiss. And, and again, you're just thinking like, yeah, but that's them two ladies. Like that's <laughs> not that's not Patrick that that's not Patrick Swayze, man. That's not that's that's Whoopi Goldberg, actually. Um <laughs> and they do cuts back to it just for a second. At the very end, Patrick Swayze gets like jarred out of Whoopi, and you just see Whoopi and Domingo like, ooh, and like separate, you know. Um, but you it is a tease. It is a tease. And I mean, not to me in the same way Roger Ebert was saying that it sounded gross. Yeah, Roger Ebert was like, yeah, we got to get... I wish we had some more shots of those two ladies. <laughs> Love watching them two ladies do hugging on each other. It's like, yeah, Roger, we get it. You're a pervert. I understand. <laughs> like, it's, it's fine. <laughs> it would have been so poignant. Um, but I mean, speaking of like the director choices, the direction choices of this movie, I mean, it's just to back up for like a second. I mean, we haven't even mentioned the movie was directed by Jerry Zucker, who also, you know, part of Zucker, Abram Zucker that directed like Airplane and Police Academy. And this was like, in a, I, I think this wasn't his very first serious movie, but it was like close or no, or was it his first solo movie? It was um, it was close. So, oh, okay, okay, yeah. So he, his solo credits are he made Police Squad, the TV series he directed an episode. He made the movie Top Secret. He made Airplane. Well, yeah, well, that was as part of a team, but as just as um, Jerry Zucker. And then he made Ruthless People, like, right before this. Well, like, four years before it, Um, which is a pretty good movie that's, like, kind of serious, but also a comedy. Um, And then he made, uh, he directed First Night, which is, like, pretty funny that's like a very serious version of the king arthur romance with richard Gere and sean connery which i actually really liked as like a 13 year old which because it's like serious nights <laughs> it's like that was my aesthetic as a kid but it's just very weird that jerry zucker is the person who made this sci-fi romance comedy that was the biggest grossing movie of the 1990 and like the one of the biggest pieces of culture of the entire 1990s like i definitely did not know that and when i found it out i was like are you fucking kidding me like what oh he directed ruthless people with his brother as well oh okay so this was his first movie alone and then he went on to his brother went on to direct the naked gun movies basketball um scary movie three and four and an american carol what the fuck is an american carol no american carol was the michael moore um parody oh my god was that the one it's like a slasher horror movie i don't think it's a slasher horror movie but it's like it's fucking right-wing bullshit that's fucking ridiculous yeah so i believe i don't know if both of them are but I think so. I think they're both like right-wing assholes. But yeah, Jerry Zucker made First Night and then he made Rat Race and then he didn't direct any more movies. And is yeah. he still is he still with us? Do you know? I believe so. So he just quit after this. <laughs> like I mean, Rat Race was was Rat was Rat Race a flop? I mean, I remember that as being a terrible movie, but was it actually a flop at the time? Is that with Mr. Bean? Yes, Mr. Bean is in it and Cuba Gooding Jr. is in it. Sounds like a flop. Yeah. Um, Brecken Meyer, maybe. Uh, oh. John Lovitz. Oof. Seth Green. Ooh. John Cleese. Ugh. 
This is a cast of flops in 2001. Biggest stars in Hollywood. Oh, and Whoopi Goldberg, who owed him a favor. Fair. Um, But it is strange that he directs Ghost. It is strange that he was nominated for Best Picture for Ghost. Um, The guy who directed Police Squad is also directing a movie that was nominated for Best Picture. (laughs) I know. Well, we've kind of got around to if if you want to talk about the like him learning to be a, use his ghost powers, like Oh yeah. Yeah, so there's a sequence so he he when he when Patrick Swayze first becoming a ghost, he gets on a subway train and he meets this ghost that he notices can hit objects in the real world. He's he's hitting like newspapers out of people's hands and kicking cans and stuff. So then later on, Patrick Swayze uh, realizes he needs to be able to affect stuff in the real world. So he just goes back to the subway and is like walking up and down inside of the subway cars until he runs into this guy. And then somehow he tricks him into like teaching him how to use his powers. I don't remember exactly how he does this, but the guy goes from like wanting to destroy Patrick Swayze to being like his Yoda like very quickly, but it's actually like a really well done sequence. And, and it's interesting that the person who is scary at first and then later goes kind of back to being scary is his kindly mentor for a while who teaches him how to use all of his like cool ghost powers. It makes the whole scene like interesting and weird in a way that I think it doesn't often happen with these scenes. I will say this, and this scene reminds me of that. Like as much as I was, I I kind of give this movie a lot of shit. I do think it's one of the better movies that we've watched of these, of this 1990 crew movies, total recall being the best of them, I think. Um, But I do think that this movie is, scene by scene it works right yeah there's like isn't it there isn't really a scene in the movie where you're like that didn't make sense or like why why did that happen everything is motivated everything pretty much works yes it's born of a very unexamined privileged (laughs) lens but as a movie itself it's very entertaining and it's uh it's it's fairly well crafted for a big hollywood movie yeah, I mean, and this is another thing to get back to Jerry Zucker is I feel like in a weird way, it's like his experience of making these completely ridiculous comedies is actually extremely useful for this movie because it he can do good pacing, right? Yeah. Like that's kind of what a movie like this needs because if you think about it too much, it stops making sense. And mm-hmm. it's in a certain way, it's a pile of ridiculous nonsense that and and none of it should necessarily work, but it's just like every scene leads into the next scene perfectly so that you're just never really thinking about why all of a sudden in your romantic comedy, you're watching shadows drag someone to hell. You're just like, Oh yeah, that's what would happen now. Okay. What's next? You know, it's just, and it's very well done. Like you don't, you don't stop and think for a second, which I thought was great. I thought, I thought that was great about this movie. I'm going to interject with something that has uh, almost nothing to do with the track that you were on. And I that's what I love, Ricky. That's what I love about you. That's what I, <laughs> I love being heard and supported. So it's, I'm really excited about this. Do you know who turned down the movie? So Patrick Swayze could do it. Oh my God. I don't know. Like Harrison Ford, Bruce Willis. <laughs> you know, do you know why he turned the movie down? Uh, oh my God. No, I have no idea why. The guy's a ghost the whole movie. No one's going to watch that. No fucking way. That's apparently what he said. And then to make up for it, 10 years later, he did The Sixth Sense. Or like seven years later, he did The Sixth Sense where he played a ghost the whole movie. Dude, he, I do love that he learned his lesson and applied it to, to a movie that is 
you know, equally good or better or, you know, I don't know. But made he was a made a lot of money, you know. Yeah. A similar kind of cultural touchstone, I guess, right? What do you, um, what is the most uh, 90s thing about this movie? Or sorry, no, what's your favorite part of this movie, Chris? Wow, what's my favorite part of this movie? Well, um, am I jumping, sorry, am I jumping too far ahead? Is no, 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 we're good, we're good. My favorite part of this movie is probably, um, we didn't talk too much about Whoopi, but you know, Whoopi won an Oscar for this movie. She's playing this like medium who is supposedly like, she's supposed to be like a fake medium. She's tricking people, but then she actually sees Patrick Swayze and then she actually starts seeing lots of ghosts and it's like, oh, it's such a headache for her and she hates doing it. And like, I think a lot of the scenes with Whoopi are pretty fun. You know, her shtick is like, it's kind of on the border of where you're like, is this okay? You're like, is this okay to watch? Um, because it, it's she's doing this kind of very broad, like poor black person character. And of course, that's what she did with so much intelligence and, you know, humanity in her one woman shows that like, that's kind of one of the things that made her into a famous actress. Um, so I do think she's staying just on the right side of the line, but to a modern audience, it can be a little bit touchy, but I, I liked a lot of the scenes with Whoopi. Um, I also really liked the um, the ghost lesson scene we were talking about where Patrick Swayze is learning how to be a ghost. Like it's just, you've seen that scene so many times, but it's just, it's somehow it seems fresh and different in this movie. And I, I it was really enjoyable. My favorite part of the movie is when Tony Goldwyn pops his shirt off. <laughs> he is like pretty cut. He's like very cut actually. He's, he's very cut. He's clearly working out a lot for the movie, but more importantly, he's so he's got such a bad game that it's really fun, it's really fun to watch. And I don't know if the movie knows how bad his game is. Like, is this just what is this? Did anyone in the real world ever actually do any of these things? Dude, that, the eighties were like dude, the seventies and eighties were like a really fucked up time, right? Because it's like post sexual revolution. People are becoming like are like marrying off and like yuppiedom is happening. People are becoming sort of part of traditional family values, but like all of those. Uh, and so like, because of the traditional family values idea, all of these traditional ideas of masculinity are suddenly like shining and strong again. But at the same, and at the same time, there's this like looseness with sexual mores that nobody's talking about. So I do think that that is how most men in that situation would have tried it in that time. Like, I don't think a man now would have done it, but I do think like your most like artistic, sensitive of men would have been like hey mind if i pop my top off <laughs> <laughs> it's just fucking wild to me dude i just cannot yeah, like you I would it, never i would never <laughs> i would just never in a million years also because this is a thing like i mean i'm not cut like tony goldwyn but i don't necessarily think me popping my shirt off is gonna like move us closer <laughs> yeah. to having sex like i think if anything that's gonna move us further away so like it's really funny. i would i would be doing some other shit <laughs> like it's from that period of time where like men like really bad men thought that like showing their penis was like was like erotic oh right like, like being like hey look at this and the woman would be like whoa it's like no that's not and like no, popping your no. shirt off is like no that's not there has to there's no context to this why there's are no, you doing this it's not it's this is not a seduction ricky it's not a seduction <laughs> it's just rip your shirt off and like scooch three inches closer to someone on the couch um, it's, it's just like you might as well just say like let's do a fuck like that's all you're really doing you know <laughs> you're just signaling it with your body um 
what is the most 90s thing about this movie for you? Uh, well, I definitely think one of the most 90s things about this movie is the fact that there, even though there's no nudity, which again, I'm still mad about, um, that the fact that there's a like a relatively steamy love scene between the two leads of the movie, like 15 minutes in, it would just never happen. It would just never happen. 15 seconds in. 15 seconds in. It's the top of the movie. The credits are still rolling and they're and they it, it is so funny that scene because the scene it it has this confidence where it knows it's gonna be iconic. Cause it it the first shot of the scene is a jukebox like picking the record out and dropping it on. Oh yeah, because this fucking yuppie ass couple has their own personal jukebox. Right, exactly. Yes. But it's just very like hey, check out this cool thing in our movie. They just seem to be so sure it's going to be a big deal. And it was. I mean, they were totally right. It's very it's very Top Gun sex scene, right? Yeah. It's very like silhouettes slowly moving across each other's bodies, caressing mm-hmm. sensually. This very like 80s, 90s, softcore, Skinamax right. version of, of sex, except without any of the nudity. So I got, like, I popped nothing off. Yeah, I pop nothing off. Like, I don't know if you see a curtain blowing in the breeze, but it has that energy, yes, you know, like exactly, exactly. very strong. So I think that the fact that there is a scene like that at the top of the movie, that just is never going to happen in a big movie like this these days, I feel like. Unless um, it's a very different kind of movie, unless it's some kind of like art house movie. But even like, um, like scary, like movie Blue film. Valentine, like Blue Valentine doesn't have like, a hot sex scene right at the start. Does it? I mean, it should, but I don't think it does. Blue Valentine sex scenes are ugly and sad. Yeah, exactly. Think of a movie that has come out recently that has like a sex scene that's supposed to be loving. We don't really have it anymore. Yeah, they don't do it. People don't, because the kind of mainstream movie that would have like, here's a way nice people fuck each other. Like they just don't do it. They don't get close to it anymore. You know, like the rock. I don't think the rock has ever kissed a woman on screen. Has he? It'd be so uncomfortable if he did my, I think the most nineties thing about the movie is Demi Moore. Uh, She was around in the eighties, but the eighties were really the period of time for Whoopi and Swayze. And the 1990 was kind of like the pinnacle, like their, their peak period whereas like Demi Moore was kind of just getting started and like 98 was her peak 97 yeah. 98 were her were her peak so she really owned the 90s it's not as funny or interesting of an answer just more uh, <laughs> I mean Ricky you're definitely right it wasn't funny or interesting but um it's <laughs> I love that you have the like clarity to say something like that it's very cool so 30 years later what does what did what does ghost grow what has ghost grown out of so i think what we've grown out of since this movie came out is like this just absolutely unquestioning glorification of like the upper middle class or like rich white person straight person lifestyle like glorifying gentrification demonizing people of color demonizing bad neighborhoods like the only black character is some kind of a hustler you know like I don't think it has any perspective on any of that stuff and doesn't even the idea that it should have some perspective on it is not, is nowhere, nowhere in the uh, like consciousness of this movie. Yeah, I completely agree. I would also say it's grown out of its interpretations of heaven and hell. Uh, I don't think, I don't think a movie would be so like 
without having some sort of interpretation of actual religious theology, unless it was a children's movie, have basically like they die and they go to heaven if they're good and hell if they're bad. And that's how it goes. Like, I just don't think anybody would really put up with uh, an adult movie that, 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 that does that anymore. And this is essentially an adult movie, even though it made the most money out of any movie in 1990. And apparently adult movies could, could do that. Yeah, right. The back when I... You know what I was thinking about? Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you. But I was thinking about this. But like in the last two months where we've been talking about these movies, right? The most successful movies that we've talked about have been total... Re- I mean, most successful in this period of time financially were Total Recall and, and Ghost. And the movies that were sequels, Die Hard 2 or a, a spiritual sequel, um, Days of Thunder yeah. or the sequel of Another 48 Hours were bombs yet move like the movie industry plowed forward with that idea hey plowed forward with that idea right that like original movies didn't work and they weren't taking the they weren't worth the risk and that we need to go with ip consistently and that's just what they've done and yeah they've sort of made more and more money but at this period of time all the ip movies were bombing it is weird. I mean, this is that time period where like an original movie for adults could be a hugely successful blockbuster. This is a very weird moment in film history. And it is cool and you do wish that it would like go back to that. Like and and in certain ways it's like you know, Ghost definitely has elements that make it like more like a sci-fi movie or more like a kids movie like you're saying it's got this weird heaven and hell idea. It's got cartoon ghosts. It's got like bunch of like fist fights and stuff but it's also like it is it is a movie for adults you know yeah. what i mean and, and it is it's not primarily a dumb cartoon like which is you know very rare today it's basically non-existent that a big budget movie would be this but there was an audience for it i mean i don't know are all those people dead i i don't know i mean i guess maybe it's like instead of instead of what they're doing instead of putting some fun elements in adult movies what they do now is put some adult movies or some adult elements into like marvel movies you know it's like mm-hmm. the captain america movie is also like a commentary on government waste you know well, <laughs> like, yeah yeah, the, the, the Captain America movie is also like propaganda <laughs> or like the military industrial complex. <laughs> I think you mean it's propaganda for like being your best self and serving your country, Ricky, which are all things I believe in. Um, so Ghost, 30 years later, I think it holds up just just fine. Probably I not... think it holds up good. I had not seen it before and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. I, I have to say, I do think that we should wrap it up and I do think we should end on this note, uh, which I am tasking you with cutting into the end of the episode, and I will send you a link for it. And that is the um, that is a a young a young beautiful woman in the movie Gummo talking about her favorite actor Patrick Swayze. My favorite movie stars are Pamela Anderson and Patrick Swayze. Patrick Swayze is sexy. He's good looking. I love that man to death. Would pay money to touch him. When I was born, I was born without any toes on my feet at all. 